Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike, and today I chat with David Sliker. David comes from the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, where he is right now, but originally comes from upstate New York. He's raised by Thai Buddhist parents. And among this upbringing, he comes to Christ at summer camp at the age of 12. We talk about this time for him and how it eventually plays out later in his life on two occasions. We also, we also chat about ministry and gleaning on our own understanding and how that isn't enough and that we need the presence of the Lord. We chat about end times, why that matters and why that is so important for us to, to be optimistic and hopeful about, among much more. So stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike, and today I'm joined by David Sliker. David is based out of Kansas City and um, is actually a senior leader at IHOP. And no, it's not the the International House of Pancakes, as uh, some of you might think, but the uh, International House of Prayer um, based in Kansas City. Um, So most recently, um, David just came back from Kazakhstan and and is now... um, coming back into the States. So uh, without further ado, thanks for joining us today, David. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tyler. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, so how I, how, I, how I like to kick off is just by opening up in prayer. So um, I can kick us off to start, and then I'm going to ask you to close at the end, if that's okay with you. Love it. Thank you. Perfect. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you so much for bringing us t- uh, together this evening. Um, just grateful and, and happy to be able to connect, um, you know, while, while David's, uh, in the Midwest right now and I'm on the East coast and, um, just be able to, to talk about the same God, uh, and just the, this with the focus and just our, our, our faith aligned as well. And just, just really get into, into some good conversation, um, have some genuine, uh, talk and, and just hear, hear what David's been up to, um, and just some, you know, words of advice and, some lessons and experiences along the way and, and hopefully how it can, it can shed a, shed a light and just, um, or even a spark to, to folks who are listening. Well, father, I thank you. I thank you for this time. And I'm asking that you would be in our midst where I'm asking for the increase of your presence, your spirit. I'm asking that you would speak to our hearts, that you would stir us that you, I'm asking for the increase of the spirit of prophecy. I'm asking that your heart, your voice, your desires would help govern this conversation, that you would lead us the way you do so well. And I'm asking God that as you do it, that you would release grace to know your son more, that Jesus would be beautiful in this conversation, and that our hearts would be connected to who he is to greater measure. So we're asking for more. We're asking for more of you and all that we can touch related to what you want to give and pour out in the midst of us. We love you. We love your ministry, and we love knowing you more. So I'm asking, reveal your son in the midst of this time in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 
So I, I think I, just to, to get started, I, I would just love to hear a, a bit more a bit more about you um, and kind of you know backtracking, I think, to you know growing up in, in your upbringings in the faith and then uh, you know especially I know that this has been something you know you've had a personal mission that has kind of carried you um, you know throughout your early 20s and then has kind of moved forward to today. So I'd love to hear about that as well. Yeah, yeah, I've got, uh, I, I just said it to somebody the other day, I've lived this crazy Forrest Gump kind of spiritual life, just crazy God stories with the Lord just helping me in all of my my weakness and my brokenness and simplicity. The, my story is that something happened to me, the love of God. Um, I came from an unsaved home. My mom was a Buddhist from Thailand. My dad is a German met my mom in the Vietnam War. He was stationed in Thailand. And so so I grew up in a non-Christian home and ended up, uh, my neighbors took me to a Christian camp and I got powerfully saved when I was 12 years old. Encountered the Lord in a really, really uh, sweet way. I remember just 12 years old, I remember every night in the worship services just inexplicably weeping. I didn't know. I'm 12 years old. I don't know what the rules are, but I know that the presence of God was on me, and I'm weeping every night. And um, so my heart was opening and breaking, and I could feel the the pleasure of the Lord, but I didn't quite get it all. And so, uh, so you know, I end up going through high school, this kind of confused Christian in a non-Christian home, not quite sure how to how to move forward. It wasn't easy for me to get to church and engage in discipleship so I kind of just stumbled my way through high school trying to figure it out but the Lord was kind and so I end up after a season in uh in undergrad at a university nearby I end up switching over feeling the calling of God to Bible school so I go to Bible school and um I remember I'm a freshman in Bible school and it's just it's from the summers the years of going to camp and Knowing that the Lord had a calling on my life, I felt stirred from a young age to, to preach the word. And so so I'm going to Bible school to try to be obedient. And I remember I'm a freshman, and there was a real crazy move of the Holy Spirit on the campus. And it really uh, was confusing to me, because again, non-Christian home, I've got no grid for this. It was all kinds of crazy stuff happening in the services that I don't know that they were quite ready for. And I remember the, the campus was kind of split in half. Is it God? Is it not God? And so half the campus and half the leaders said, no, I don't think this is the Lord. And the other half of the campus and the other half of the leaders and the pastors of the church said, no, we think this is the Lord. And so I'm trying to sort it all out. And I wasn't sure what I thought of it, but I was seeing real powerful fruit in people's lives that didn't seem like the devil. And so I, as I'm sorting it out, I'll never forget that the evenings, the evening times, whatever I thought of the meetings themselves – the crowds would leave, and there would be a real tangible, sweet presence of the Lord in the room that, that I loved. And so whether I went to the meetings that night or not, because they went for weeks, sometimes I would skip the meeting, but I would still go at the end and just sit in the presence of the Lord, because the, the senior pastor would turn down the lights in the sanctuary. He would read the Psalms and put on guitar music. This is early 90s. This is like 1993. Wow. So I'm, I would just sit in the back of the sanctuary, guitar music, reading the Psalms, presence of the Lord, and I would just enjoy sitting before the Lord. And again, I, I don't know that that was even a thing back then. I don't know that people did that, but but I did, and I loved it. And I remember, <clears throat> excuse me, the pastor 
one night gets to Psalm 27 and he hits verse 4 and I don't know that I've ever even heard this psalm before but he hits verse 4 one thing I ask one thing I'll seek that I would dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life that I would gaze on his beauty that I would inquire in his temple and I remember as he's reading those words it was like a fire hits my heart and I begin to weep and I'm not looking for it. I'm not connected to this psalm. It didn't really have any personal meaning to me before this moment. But suddenly the presence of God is on me. And I'm saying words that I I don't know that I meant to say, but I say out loud. I go, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. All the days of my life, I want to dwell in your house. I want to I see you. I want to know you. This is what I want. And so so I make this commitment in the presence of the Lord, but I don't get it, and I don't understand it. <laughs> it didn't make any sense to me. And I remember I graduated from Bible school a number of years later, and uh, now I'm 23. Uh, it's 1997. I'm starting a full-time ministry. <laughs> I think back as a 23-year-old as a to that commitment I made at 19, and, uh, and I'm thinking, well, what do I do now? Well, how do you, in a New Testament context, I actually ask myself this question. How do you, in a New Testament context, do Psalm 27 and dwell in the house of the Lord. Do I put a cot in the sanctuary? And do I do I live in the church? And yeah, wow. I mean, just there's no no there's no teaching on it. Nobody's explaining it to me, so I don't know how to honor the spirit of what I had a little fear of the Lord on in terms of that commitment in His presence, but I didn't know how to do it. So two years later, I'm visiting uh, my pastor who had transitioned to Kansas City, and the International House of Prayer had just launched 24/7 meetings. 24-7 prayer and worship, full worship team, um, prayer. And so there, So my friends say, you know, you got to go check that out. It sounds like something you'd like. And so I go. I walk in the back. It's a dank trailer on a Wednesday night, and it's the youth night. They're training the youth group from the church down the road how to do prayer meetings with worship and prayer. And I walk in the back, and it's rough. It's ugly. Half the youth groups, you know, flirting in the parking lot. The other half's in the room, but they don't quite get what's going on. And then the teenagers are leading the prayer meeting as Mike Bickle is training them. And I'm instantly struck. Uh, the weakness doesn't matter to me. The setting doesn't matter. The, the, the kind of roughness of it. Uh, it's like, it's I don't, I can't explain it to this day, except that I just got it. It made sense to me. I fell in love and I went, this is it. This is what the Lord was telling me about. This is Psalm 27, 4, in his presence, asking him for things, and asking him about him, and talking to him about his beauty and what he's like and who he is. This is that. And so I didn't. what's funny is I didn't think I must now move here. I thought I must now do this back in my youth group and back in my church. And so it wasn't for a few years later until the Lord kind of, I don't tell the story often because it's personal, but but really dramatically transitioned me out of youth ministry to the house of prayer about 16 years ago now. And so, um, so yeah, that's kind of the brief story. I think of what you're asking. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. Thank thank you so much. And there's, you know, as I'm listening, I'm, you know, I'm smiling and I'm thinking about a lot of different, different elements of that too. And I I think, I I guess the first element I want to touch on now is as you were, you know, in the, in this space, um, where, where, um, Mike Bickle was, you know, teaching these, these these teenagers. As you mentioned, it was it was rough around the edges. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't this picturesque scene of. I think of sometimes how we we, we glamorize, or, or sometimes how we think that things look or that things are going to turn out too. 
Um, right. And and but at the same time, you you felt comfortable, and then that this was something that that you could step into, and th- and this was something that that you should bring back with you, right? And I I just I found that I found that that's so I found that really you know really interesting and really cool. Um, I, I think a lot of times we we feel like you know the situation has to be just right, um, you know. Or, but I think I think we can find we can find these these almost these silver linings or these or God's calling in in something just like just like this here where it might not appear you know immaculate but but in the end it turns out to be a, a pivotal part of your story. Yeah, I think too. I think as Christians. What seems really common to me, particularly with young adults, is we put tons of pressure on ourselves to discern it right, figure mm. it out. It's, you know, it's like we gotta, we have this weird little control thing in us, and this quiet Christian perfectionism where we gotta have all the answers, and mm-hmm. and hear perfectly, and discern perfectly, and follow perfectly, and and uh, so we put this pressure on ourselves to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I think to me, the hallmark of the story is, that's why I like saying I forced got my way through this thing. You know, mm-hmm. I stumble in the back, not sure what I'm seeing. And the Lord just in that moment helps me get it. I, I could not have come to that conclusion on my own. But uh, And we forget how much of our story is the Lord helping us, breaking in, getting us to the right place at the right time without violating our free will. At the right moment, the light comes on and it makes sense to us when it shouldn't make sense. Mm-hmm. But I knew in that moment, to me, as rough as it was, I, I had already kind of come to the end of myself as a youth pastor. You know, you feel like you, in your early days of ministry, you run on gifting, and you find the limitations of gifting in your inability to keep people loving Jesus. You can't make them love Jesus, and you can't keep them loving Jesus when nobody's looking. And so you run into your limitation and your weakness, no matter how gifted you are, really fast. Mm-hmm. And so... I had run into it, and I was already kind of in the place where I'm thinking, I gotta, I gotta add prayer to this mix because I am not impressive. And so, so I'm wanting prayer, but then the combination of worship and prayer, I saw how I could get teenagers in the game, because the the music element for a teenager, you know, a raw rock pile, cry out to God prayer meeting isn't populated by tons of teenagers. Mm-hmm. But now, 16 years later, you add music to that thing, teenagers run to it. And they pray, and they pray the word, and they go deep, and they connect, and it it has staying power. It's one of the best discipleship mechanisms I've ever seen, mm-hmm. and it so, just, but it just made sense at the time. Wow. So yeah. So so you know. So prayer at the time, and then you know, incorporating worship was that element of discernment that 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 you need to incorporate. Is that is that is that correct? I'm not sure I understand what you mean. What, yeah. What you mean? Yeah. So just as you're speaking on 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 gifts and you know and and just being you know being called to be a youth pastor, but at this stage, this is something where where you felt that the power of prayer and also um, power of worship were, were were you know two elements that that really helped you, I guess, respond and 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 discern God's word, which was something that was a bit bit maybe a bit challenging or you know a bit uncertain in the past. Yeah, I guess I would say it like this. Matthew chapter 5, right at the beginning when Jesus lays out the Beatitudes, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Hmm. And uh, what I had not run into yet, you know, when you're in your 20s and you've got some giftings and some charisma and some dynamism, energy, and things are working, you, you just you run on the fumes of your own abilities and strengths. But hmm. ministry is funny. It, you can get people to show up. You can get them in groups. You can get them doing stuff and rally the troops. 
you know, charisma can take you far in American culture. But what it can't do in any culture is make someone love Jesus and make them, make them keep loving Jesus when no one's looking. And so that what I ran into was my spiritual poverty. It's like, wait a minute. My charisma, is it can get them into the room and get them to come to the retreat, but I can't get them to choose to not sin and to choose to reach for God when I'm not around. And so that, that, that realization is just the, the very human realization and humility of God, God grace, God's grace to show me, like, oh my gosh, they need more of God. They need more of God's presence. They need that intangible, sometimes undetectable presence of something beyond me that I can't give them, that only God can do. Like, I, I need to shift gears here to not, hmm. you know, be so meeting-oriented and yeah. event-oriented and get them in the room-oriented and take them out for coffee and imagine it's awesome. Like, I, there's all the books and the strategies and the whatevers. I, I need something more than that. I need that presence of the living God that does so much more in one minute that I could do in 10 years. And so that's that's what I ran into as a youth pastor. I'm, I'm guessing others have run into that. It's the weakness of ministry when we're running on the fumes of our own gifting. Wow. I, I love that. I, I, I want to backtrack again, actually, and, and go back to, to earlier in your in your story, you mentioned um, that, you know, at, at the age of, of 12 years old, you know, coming from a family that, uh, as you mentioned, you know, your um, uh, mother is from Thailand and your and your you know, just parents aren't aren't involved in the faith, um, in the Christian faith. Um, I, w- I want to know, you know, is this something that you, you mentioned at the age of 12? This is it was pretty clear for you that that, you know, that God was calling you and that, that you really want, you know, wanted to, to give your life to Christ. Um, do you think, you know, as you talk about this story, do you ever run into other folks that are like, oh, wow, I didn't know that, you know, somebody could maybe have that much understanding at that at that age i know for me i i you know i i i didn't feel like christianity or just the, the whole concept really i couldn't comprehend it at, at that age so i i kind of want to hear a bit more about about this you know this you know uh, this time uh when you were 12 and you know if you, if you kind of feel like a lot of folks that you've encountered have kind of had this this you know this instantaneous moment or if it for some people it's been a little bit different I mean, I think the the easy, quick answer is that everybody's different. But mm-hmm. what what I have found that's that's surprising and interesting, and again, it's just it's I love the way the Lord writes the story. So I, I get saved at twelve, and uh, I'll tell you I'll tell you a crazy story if you don't mind. Absolutely. So so <laughs> I this isn't quite what you're that's, asking. But that's I'll, encouraged. I'll yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I'm twelve, I, and again, I get marked. In an unusual way, during this week of camp, Christian summer camp, I, I come home. I have a burning desire to preach the gospel that did not come from me. And I would spend my the rest of my summer. I would go to the backyard by myself, and I would just preach to the trees. I didn't have anybody to preach to. I wasn't part of a youth group. I didn't know where to express this ministry desire that came out of nowhere. And so I would go in my backyard and I would preach to the trees. And I did that for a while. Like I would do that the rest of the summer, then went back to school, did bad, failed, messed up, typical teenager. Go back to camp, 13, get struck again, go back, preach to the trees some more. I just, every time I'd touch God, I'd come away with this inexplicable desire to preach. So now what's crazy is 
my uh, Bible school, we would have like a, a prophetic kind of presbytery prayer time for our seniors, our graduating seniors. And so I'm graduating. And, uh, you know, it's 10 years later. <clears throat> and um, and so we, at, when you're a freshman and a sophomore at the school, you watch these prophetic folks come in and, and just kind of pray and prophesy over the seniors. And it's always, it was always freaky to me because they would hit the mark just, just every time they would say stuff that they couldn't have known. And you've known these seniors and you're watching the Lord read their mail. It was such a, just that was a pretty transformative experience for me. But it also kind of put the fear of the Lord in me. I remember I spent the week leading up to that time repenting of every sin I could think of. I was like, okay, Lord, just I, I don't want to be that one where they whisper in the ear and you're going, oh, no. <laughs> I, I think that person was in sin. You know, just all this stuff you rationalize. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, so I'm sitting in my chair and uh, waiting to see what – it's just such a cool moment. Like, what is the Lord going to say about me? What's the Lord's summary at the end of this season of my life as I'm transitioning to full-time ministry, wow, how's the Lord going to summarize this season? And so the first words out of the mouth of one of the folks ministering, she goes, so you want to preach? And, I, and my eyes get big. Nobody in my Bible school knew that. I didn't talk about that. That 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 was a secret of my heart. She calls it right out. So you want to preach? My eyes get all big and I start to tear up. She goes, oh, yes, young man. I see you as a boy preaching to the trees in your backyard. I just start bawling. I, I can't believe it. And she starts to unpack just this whole encouragement from the Lord about preaching and uh, not focusing on the form, but the substance and the knowledge of God. I mean, it. when I think about it now, related to what I'm doing now, now another 20 years later, it's crazy. So then the next guy comes in, follows that, and he gives this just outrageous prophecy about preaching and, and the calling of God in my life to preach. It was crazy. So now, now I'll tell you another crazy one. So now it gets crazier. It gets crazier. Jeez, that was, that was crazy. Okay. It does. So I'm wrecked. You know, I'm 22. I'm wrecked. I get into full-time ministry. Now, so that year, that would be 1996, 7-ish. So now it's... Uh, a number of years later, fast forward, it's 2009. <clears throat> it's spring of 2009. I'm in Pasadena, California, with a with a I'm I'm, a, I'm, the, I'm on the leadership team. I'm, I'm directing this ministry called the Call with Lou Engel, and uh, and I'm, we're doing this week of meetings in Pasadena. And so some friends of mine drive down because they wanna they wanna grab me after the meetings, take me to dinner, pick my brain, ask me Bible questions. And so, uh, so there's a whole group of them, and they're all just radical. They're the kind of friends that you want to have in terms of they don't care about anything. <laughs> they'll, they'll go for it anytime. And so, uh, so they're asking me questions, and I'm, I'm feeling funny. Like, I'm, something's up. Like, I feel the presence of the Lord, and I, I don't quite understand what's going on. So I just kind of stop, and I go, guys, I don't, I, I don't get what's going on, but I'm not in a Bible question-answer mode. I feel like you guys are supposed to pray for me. I don't know why. I just feel like I need to ask, will you pray for me? Well, these dudes are like, they don't care about nothing. They don't just kind of put a nice hand on you and pray softly. <laughs> <laughs> They're the kind of guys that in the middle of a trendy, hipster, young adult, passing a restaurant, crowded, packed out, loud music, they don't care. They get up. They put their hands on me, and they loudly start to pray. And I'm pretty massively embarrassed. But, but before I get a chance to be embarrassed, the presence of God falls on our prayer time. And I'm totally thrown off. This is not what I'm expecting. 
And all of a sudden, a fr- my friend next to me looks at me and goes, David, the Lord showed me you as a young boy preaching to the trees. You've had a calling on your life to preach from age 12. And he begins to call that out and repeat almost verbatim the prophetic word that I got when I graduated Bible school from the other folks. He lays out the exact same word. I am freaked out. So anyways, I, I won't tell the rest of the story. But uh, but the, the thing that that marked me with, amongst many things, is uh, I walked away from that going, man. The Lord doesn't condescend or diminish the decisions of a 12-year-old. He actually dignifies them. They matter to him. In other words, the choices that a 12-year-old makes to to love God, the Lord notes it, he marks it, he remembers it, he calls it out. It matters. It's real. The decisions I made at 12 to love God and take his word seriously are as important to him as the ones I make now. They are as dignified, as important as meaningful to his heart and he doesn't take them less seriously because I was less mature if anything he takes it more seriously and has reminded me of that through my life that that this is this is his story he's he's doing this but but it matters my response matters and what's interesting is having nothing to do with these two prophetic words we took a year every Saturday just as a youth ministry at IHOP because I was helping lead the youth ministry for a while and we prayed for 12-year-olds to encounter God for a year, every Saturday for two hours. Just pray for 12-year-olds. And what we found out, because we have a web stream that connects to about a million people worldwide, we found out that families with 12-year-olds would tune in to the prayer meeting at that time and lay hands on their 12-year-olds as we were praying. And so we heard so many stories of God radically encountering 12-year-olds Make those 12-year-olds making serious decisions related to their future and ministry, giving their teenage years to the Lord to prepare for the, the calling of God in their lives. And, you know, I know lots of them now. They're, they're walking with God. They've gone through our Bible school. They're, they're in ministry. They're doing crazy things and missions. It's, it's sweet. Those, those, you know, Jonathan Edwards called them sweet resolutions. And, and, those are sweet resolutions made by 12-year-olds. They really matter. They really do. And so sure, everybody's different. And everybody's capacities and comprehensions and seasons and moments where you come into realization. It, it, it's an, I don't think it's age. I think it's grace. I think the Lord meets some at 12 and some at 15 and some at 20. And I think the Lord knows why related to our frame. But it's all grace. It's all the Lord meeting us in the right place, the right time, in the right way. And it sets us up for what he's going to launch us into in the days to come. Mm, wow, that's that's a, two two very crazy stories. So I just want to just want to confirm, so everybody. So the uh, folks that were with you in California, you know that 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 spoke to you and said, you know the, uh, you know we 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 saw you preaching to the trees. So there was you know zero percent chance that these guys were actually in 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 that you know in that place with you, you know or or. In, in the same area with you back 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 home yeah 0.0 they 0.0 they, uh, actually because i'm the biggest skeptic of all i asked him i said do you know anything about my story and of course i didn't meet them until my 30s the the the, the first round happened when i was 22 graduating from bible school that's upstate new york that's a whole different denomination. That's a whole different group of guys mm. 
and, and girls that know me that I don't really connect with that much because I, I haven't done much. I mean, I've preached at conferences related to that denomination, and, and, uh, and I've connected with ministries and friends a little bit. But mostly when God transitioned me to IHOP KC, it was like I left one tribe to go to another. And, uh, and so it's a whole new, whole different group of people that have no reference point or context for that other Bible school life. And so, so yeah, I didn't meet them until my 30s. They were nowhere near that room and had no grid and didn't know the story. So, yeah, I, I did what you did. I quizzed them pretty hard, like, wait a minute. Because a few other things happened in the, in the tough prayer time as well that had a similar impact on me that I went, wait a minute, have you been mm-hmm. listening to my tapes? Have you been, mm-hmm. you know, it, I, it just kind of threw me off a bit. So I, I kind of went after it, but yeah, no, no chance. Wow. Very, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, and, and the next thing I would, I want to transition into, you know, your, your time at IHOP KC now, or, you know, IHOP KC and when you first got there. So can you just so say, wait a minute, I want to ask you a question. Absolutely. Because I, I went into this podcast cold. We don't know each other so very well. I don't know your audience. Does your audience have a grid for anything I'm saying? <laughs> um, you know what? So I, you know, I, I think there's uh, a lot of folks that aren't super familiar with, you know, with the, the, the International House of Prayer, and I, I think there are folks that are, you know, that I, I think the, the the good thing is that people are coming from a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different uh, areas right now, so. I think there'll there'll be some folks to understand and some folks that are that are a bit a bit confused. Yeah, no, I'll say this: I don't tell that story often at all, and so uh, yeah, I, I thought our podcast was going in a really different direction related to practical Christian fire for Jesus stuff. So this is fun. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, you know what? It, it, it can and it can change back and forth in direction too, and that you know that's I think that's that that's the beauty of it. Uh, so, you know, I, I want to transition now into, I guess, you know, hopefully <laughs> maybe into more practical. Uh, but so can you can you talk? I, I would say, though, just for fun, I think that the, that the Lord speaks. It might be new, but it's super practical. In other words, at the end of the day, whether you believe the Lord speaks or not, grace matters. That we're doing this because God is for us and helping us rather than our own strength and initiative. To me, that's our, he's called the God of all comfort and the Father of mercy. And his mercy and his comfort is he's working on our behalf versus our, our need to deliver ourselves. That's a huge comfort. And so even for the folks out there that are, this is new to you, the, the concept of grace and, the, and the, the loyal commitment of God to help us in our weakness, that's the bigger point than, wait a minute, did... God spoke three times, and what does that mean? And I think the bigger point is that God is helping us in our mm. weakness because He enjoys us in our weakness and, and is committed to get us to where we're going. I think that's the bigger point, just to be helpful. Very, that was very helpful. It was a, a very good job, kind of showing the um, the the uh, bigger picture. So I'm glad you surfaced that. Um, well, great. So yeah, I want I want to talk about you know just IHOP KC. Can you kind of give me a you know 15 30 second spiel of what you're all about? Yeah, primarily what we're about is uh, we've been doing a 24-7 prayer meeting, night and day. Uh, full worship team on the platform, 50 to 200 in the room on average. And uh, we started in September 1999, 24-7, and uh, September 19th. And from that point forward, a continuous prayer meeting with full worship. So worship and prayer um, has not stopped from that point forward. And 
a few years later, we added a web stream to it. It's the longest running continuous broadcast in history. A million people from nations all over the earth, they engage in those prayer meetings and pray with us. And so, um, so yeah, that's primarily, we're primarily, that's where we started, a, a prayer a prayer room serving Kansas City and the nation and the nations of the earth, contending night and day for breakthrough and justice and, and transformation of missions. Praying for missions is, it happens every prayer meeting. We're praying, we partner with YWAM, we partner with uh, Every Home for Christ, which is the underrated, best-kept secret in the missions movement uh, in the on the earth. They plant about 10,000 churches a month. And so we've partnered with them. They send us their prayer requests from the field. Mm-hmm. We pray for their missionaries for, in our public meetings. And we're contending for missions and evangelism for the Lord to do more. And so we do our part in prayer. We're their prayer department. They're our missions department. They... Uh, they go with the prayer cover and, and uh, testify and report back related to what p- prayer is producing. So we love that relationship. But then on top of that, uh, connected to the prayer ministry, we're also uh, a local church. Our prayer ministry, our prayer room, has about 500 full-time staff. Um, we're a missions base, and so we're, we're a missions organization, uh, just the prayer side of missions. But then we also have a local church, which has about 4,000 attached to it on a weekly basis or more. And then we're also a uh, university, a Bible school, ministry school, music school. And there's about 500 that are associated with that full time. So, so yeah, that's primarily who we are. But So the, the training, all the equipping, that's equipping leaders and, and worship leaders and musicians for, for prayer and leadership in the body of Christ. Local church serving the people and the city. And then the prayer ministry connecting with missions and praying for breakthrough across the earth. So that's the... That's the quick version. Awesome. That was a great version. Um, and I, I guess um, uh, moving forward, you know, I, I know that that uh, Mike Bickle was somebody that you know that's that was and is con- you know I'm, I'm sure continues to be a you know inf- influential part of your life now. How you came to uh, IHOP through um, with a uh, clunk from and just speaking also on discipleship and, and kind of you know what that entails and and what that means for you and then. Is there things that that you have you know that you've learned from him and you, you have just learned over your time that that you I guess now try and, and you know and preach or just rub off on others um, as as you continue in your ministry? Wow, yeah, I I mean that's a for me that's a big question. I would say that that Mike Bickle is probably the single most influential leader my whole life. I mean I've been with him for sixteen years now. Um, the other leader of, of that kind of influence would be a man named Bob Sorge. He's written a number of books. He lost his voice in the early 90s and, and speaks with great pain, but he travels and preaches and writes. I would say those two figures would be the single most influential figures in my life, leadership-wise. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so to, to talk about – I mean, I've been with Mike. I'm 44 now. I've been with Mike since I was 27, 28. Um, and so, Bob, the early years after I graduated Bible school, I, I was a youth pastor with Bob. And then Bob transitioned to Kansas City and uh, just wanted to be at the church, wasn't even thinking House of Prayer. And it wasn't because of Bob that I moved to Kansas City, but, but we were visiting Bob and Marcy Sorge when we first touched the House of Prayer. And so that, that's part of the story. But, but yeah, when I, when I started connecting with Mike, hmm, how do I summarize that? I mean... I mean, I would say that one of the most powerful 
dynamics of running with Mike and serving what the Lord's doing here with him. Hmm. I mean, I would say I, I'm, I'll always be grateful for the perspective and the wisdom that Mike's given related to longevity. In other words, here's how we, here's how we keep our heart alive. Here's how we keep our heart connected. Mm. Here, here's the tools that keep us loving Jesus through the pain, disillusionment, frustration, smallness. Probably one of the one of the greatest gifts that Mike Pickle is, besides a a man that really lives what he preaches. It's it's more impressive the closer you get to him, which is really rare. You know, most international leaders, the closer you get, the more you're like, wow, that that dude is really human. And and uh, and, and Mike is that, but but he's also more impressive in terms of his diligence. But the thing that I've appreciated more than that, the authenticity and the diligence is the perspective on, on a refusal to entertain hype and exaggeration, to call it what it is, and to find Jesus in what you're doing, not to find, you know, in the ministry, you, you, you accidentally find a sense of worth in the size of your impact. You accidentally find a sense of worth in the size of your influence and following. And it, and it feeds something in you that ultimately isn't that healthy. And so to to meet a man and a leader who's invested in calling things what they are for real, not pretending that they're great. Because at the end of the day, ministry of any kind is going to be fabulously small in its impact, particularly if you measure it according to the Bible's measurement. You know, the Lord's not so impressed with how many are showing up for your Sunday morning meetings. He's moved by how many are giving themselves to the Sermon on the Mount when nobody's looking. Mm. And so... And so the, the size of the meeting, the size of the impact, the size of the following, it's all a lot smaller than we want to admit. People's responses are not so impressive. People's follow-through isn't great. Our own follow-through isn't amazing. Everything about ministry and the kingdom and the body is radically unimpressive because of the weakness and the brokenness and the humanity of it all. It, it magnifies the tenderness and the generosity, the kindness and the love of God he loves working with weak people. He loves it. And so I find the more we're honest about the smallness of it all, the more amazing the love of Jesus is and his investment in us to do this with us and our the dignity of our partnership, our labor. It really matters to him. He loves it. And, uh, and that connection that we're doing this with him for love, not for him for numbers. Because at the end of the day, that's a that's it's just never as impressive as we pretend it is. So to do it with him for love, and have that be the secret of longevity. In other words, through the decades, through the pain, through the disillusionment, through the difficulties and trials and storms of life, and there there's many of those. So to have the right perspective from the word and the right value system, to have a heart that's alive through pain and trial come through the other side and you feel like, man, I could do this another 20 years. To me, I don't, I don't know if there's a greater gift a leader could have given me than the tools for longevity in the joy of the Lord. Mm. Like that, that, that dynamic connection to Jesus and, and the, the centrality of love and the motivation of it as your primary fuel for ministry. Again, I, I'll be eternally grateful for that. Mm. Wow. Yeah. It, it sounds like, you know, what I'm, what I'm, uh, 
gaining from this is there's definitely an aspect of uh, obedience that that he's kind of taught you to and and staying with it for the uh, long term. Yeah, but obedience is hard if you're if you're not connected to the right perspective. There's just so many off ramps to quit related to frustration and disillusionment. Just ministry's hard. It just is. Mm-hmm. And so it and so raw obedience doesn't it doesn't really cut it because at a certain point it's like you know what even Home Depot sounds preferable to me than doing another two years of A B and C I mean just the dynamics and the difficulty and the mm-hmm. the rigor of it obedience isn't enough there has to be mm. a real ache and connect to the love of Jesus and a real realigning again and again just constantly realigning more than obedience. I'm realigning again. I'm in this for love. I'm realigning again. I'm in this because you enjoy me and you wanted to be with me. And I wanted to do this with you. I don't want to just do this for you. And so that relational dynamic where Jesus has to be more than the center. He has to be the the source and the, and the life of what we're doing. I think that ends up fueling obedience. But if it's obedience without that, I don't know how long we, we last in it. Excellent. Excellent. Great. Well, uh, where where I'd like to go next now is you know is actually kind of delving into a bit more um, into one of your books. So, um, getting a bit more bi- biblical, the question I want to ask is: Should Christians be be hopeful of uh, of and for the future? So, in your book uh, and and time simplified, preparing your heart for the for the coming storm. Uh, this is a question that you you know seek to address for different questions uh, for the future. Um, so I, I, again, I want to just kind of hear a, a bit more about what people can expect from this book, um, and then you know possibly an example or two of how folks can prepare for end times. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I'll give the simplest sneak preview mm. in the history of mankind. Real simple. The um, the I call the Book of Revelation the end time Book of Acts on a global scale. I call the Book of Acts the first century Book of Revelation on a local scale. And I think when you understand that as your kind of entry point, it changes the game a bit. Because when we, you know, I think what we end up doing with eschatology is we end up kind of just being dismissive of it because we don't see the, the worth of the value. And so, uh, and so first and foremost, before I even say any of that, the reason why the end times matter isn't get prepared to endure and make it so that you're one of the lucky ones. The reason the end times matter is because it's a window into the beauty of Jesus and knowing him, the beauty of his leadership, the things he cares about, the passion of his heart. If, if the end times is not about Jesus, it is not worth our time. But if it is about Jesus, then it's really worth our time because it's a beautiful, you know, the, I'll give you kind of a dorky analogy. It's, it's take your kid to work day. You know, it's, it's a whole element of my dad I didn't know because I never went to work with him. Because there's a whole different man that expressed his leadership in, a, in an automotive engineering context. He led men well. And I would talk to the guys that worked for my dad, and they would tell me what it was like to work for him and his leadership. And it's like I got to know this whole new man. And that's what I found for folks that study the second coming. It, they've ignored the subject because of various reasons, intimidation, fear, time, whatever. They start touching it. They realize, oh, my gosh, I'm not just touching a series of events, trying to figure out weird symbols. 
actually, it's not called the book of Revelation. It's called the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it's a window into knowing him that I, I never knew was there. And suddenly it's like this whole new Jesus that I'm enjoying related to the knowledge of him. But then secondly, the reason we care about it is because he does. He really, it's a subject that is dear to his heart. It's what he wants as much as anything to return, to be with his bride, to be the king of the nations on the earth. It's the passion and the flame of his heart. So we want to care about it. And so, um, and then, and then third, we want to engage in what he's doing. If he's doing something on the earth, we don't want to be doing our own thing. We want to be doing what we do in a way that contributes to the bigger story. And so in that, just think about for a minute the way that we talk about the book of Acts. We would never talk about the book of Acts the way we talk about the book of Revelation. But the book of Acts has as much negative dynamic in some ways for Jerusalem, for that group locally, there were negative dynamics. There was intensity. There was trouble. There was the execution of James. There was prison sentences. There was there was persecution. There was Paul as Saul persecuting the church effectively. And then all of a sudden the great persecutor gets converted. To me, that that's all a glimpse, a sneak preview into the kind of dynamics that are in the future. If if the church gets power on it from the Holy Spirit, like the book of Acts, if the church comes into victory in love, that what the Bible describes coming on the church in the days ahead, it's a glorious day, glorious hour for the church. But a glorious hour for the church, as you see in the book of Acts, causes trouble in cities. And so when, when people think about the future and what the Bible says, they're mostly afraid of the trouble, hoping to find a way to overcome it or avoid it. And the Lord's going, no, 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 no. You don't have to mostly focus on the negative. You can focus on my son, get confident in his love, get touched with the power of the Holy Spirit and see what happens. I mean, you don't have to, uh, we don't have to live this fear-based, worry, kind of avoidance theology, but we can see the beauty of what the Lord's doing, the zeal of the Lord for his church and the, and the intensity of that zeal expressed in the nation's reaction. That's the story of the end times, which to me is a story worth knowing. Wow. No, awesome. Awesome. So I, I guess this kind of goes along then with, you know, then I guess what, what you really see is a, the, the, the focal point and just the way that, or the, I guess the lens that, that you try and see Jesus is, is through love um, rather than, you know, I, you mentioned earlier, you know, in the podcast that there was an element where you could, you know, kind of see that this, this God fearing element too. But um, you're, you, from what I'm gleaning here, it's, you're, you know, really focus on, on, on God's love as the center and center and forefront and focus. And then that's, that's the source and the light through it all. Well, that's the gospel. I mean, yep. when I hated him, he found me, set his love on me, the whole, all his heart, soul, mind and strength was given in love. And then he put his spirit in me. There's no bigger statement besides the cross of his love and affection and commitment. I mean, you have the most powerful being in the universe, the man from Nazareth, who is God who bled, suffered, and died, conquered sin and death to be with you as a friend and fight for the relationship forever. He's fighting for you with loyalty when you don't even have the wherewithal discernment to fight for yourself. The statement that he made from heaven to put his spirit in you. I mean, these are gigantic statements of love and affection. And then, of course, Paul makes the biggest statement, Romans 8.1. There's therefore now no condemnation. There's peace with God, Romans 5. 
there's no condemnation, no rejection. There's acceptance, re- no rejection, no accusation. He doesn't count your transgressions against you, 2 Corinthians 5, but he turns them for your good because he loves you, Romans 8. I mean, you've got this story throughout the New Testament of this outrageous, loyal commitment of a fiercely jealous God who's not going to quit when you get funny, doesn't define you by your weakness, and fights for you to be who you were made to be. To me, it's a, it is a love story. I mean, it is mm-hmm. a fiercely powerful one. And the deeper we connect to that, the more that we're equipped with confidence for today, but also the storms of tomorrow. We've got to be anchored in that love. Mm, mm, awesome. Um, last, last final few, you know, questions and, and, and thoughts here. Um, hope I'm not being too preachy. You're just poking me. Yeah, no, I, and you know what? I, I, I could be here all night and that's, that's actually the, 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 the challenge I'm having right now too. It's like, okay, well, <laughs> I, you know, I wanted to go, I want to go in this area, but at the same time, you know, I think it's, uh, I, I should be cognizant of time and just the, you know. <laughs> We haven't even touched all the practical Christianity stuff you were hinting at. I know, I know, I know. So you know, you know, I think we, I, I think we started kind of at a pretty, a pretty deep level, and then I think we're maybe trying to get, you know, a, a bit more back into into the, the practical elements. But um, here, here, here is the question that is gonna that's the the you know the buy all end all. Um, what what advice do you have for for folks who are looking to to get started and learn more about Jesus? Yeah, I think I think there's got to be a change in our prayer life, in my opinion. I think uh, prayer is valued by every believer of the body of Christ, but rarely engaged in. And the reason isn't because we're all bad Christians. I think the reason that we don't engage in it is because it's impossible to enjoy God when you don't feel enjoyed by God. And that's the power the power of the gospel, the truth of it is not just that God did something for us. Like we think of forgiveness as kind of a forgive and forget, and it's okay, but we don't feel okay, and we're not behaving okay, so we don't quite get it. But when we start connecting to the fierce commitment of a loving God that is for us, even in our weakness, he enjoys us, he enjoys the relationship, he likes us, he's eager to be with us. The more we touch the fire of the one who who wants us to see ourselves as his favorite with access, Paul said. Peace and access. The more we touch that, the more our prayer life becomes about God enjoying us and us enjoying God. Not, you know, the to-do list of things we feel like we need to be better at and mm. our needs, yep. which we, which he wants us to bring our needs. But I find when you're coming to a God that you think doesn't enjoy you because you project your insecurity and your own evaluation of yourself onto him, So you're coming to a God that you feel like judges you negatively. You're coming with a to-do list that you want him to add his power to so that it goes better. You're coming with a needs list that you're wanting him to answer, but you don't really believe it's gonna. That's why you end up prayerless. But when your prayer life shifts, when it's not about primarily that, but it begins with the beauty of Jesus. In other words, the more that your prayer life is about Jesus and about who he is and how he feels, and you're connecting to the truth of how he feels about you and his enjoyment of you, and you're talking to him about that, which means you're talking to him from his word. Your prayer life is Bible-based, and you're talking to him from his word, which doesn't take a ton of work. It's not doesn't take a ton of thought or depth. You're just opening the Bible to the truths of what he's done and how he feels. And you're talking to him about it. You're going, Lord, help me understand this. Or you're saying, Lord, 
thank you for this. Or you're saying, Lord, I love that you're like this. I mean, that's that's an underrated, underutilized dynamic of prayer that actually keeps us from praying. And the more we do that, then it spills over into how we pray for our friends and our family. And we end up not just feeling what he feels about us. We end up feeling what he feels about our friends, about our family. We feel it. And so we end up loving them differently. We end up praying for them differently. We end up relating to them differently. And prayer becomes addictive because it's a real connection. It's not a business meeting. I think lots of us are having Hmm. business meetings with functional conversations that are one way, hoping God comes through. But a real relational connect at the heart level around who he is actually changes the game. And anybody can do it. You don't have to be Mr. Super Spiritual Deep Guy. It, the whole thing was built by God to work for the weakest of the weak. So I think we do that. I think that's the game changer. Sweet, sweet. Um, last last question for you. Um, want to wait, know? Wait, 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 real fast. What do you think? I, I what what I think I I think that was I think that was a lot um, and I I think I, I think the 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 end point is something that I, I'm gonna hold on to and it's on I think mentioning that it's not just a business relationship or you know a business meeting and it I think it takes a lot more listening and it takes a lot more active listening too um, so I don't know I, I I completely agree and um you know God's gonna find you wherever you are. And I don't, and I really like the last point you mentioned on, um, you don't have to be, you know, some, some spiritual guru or, you know, somebody who's, you know, super, you know, just, you know, I guess, uh, I don't know the language that you use, but, but, you know, God will find you where you are and and it just takes, it takes a lot more listening. And I think a lot of times where we get caught in the, the phenomenon of just, you know, asking and, and requesting, uh, which is great, but I think. Um, you also have to hear what what he what, you know what he's asking for you as well. You got it. No, I think prayer is better when you know who he is, versus the the other dynamic where we're skipping the relationship to focus on the need. Which again, needs are great. He loves it. He's in, but there's more to it. Absolutely, yeah. So it's it's a it's a two way street. It's a two way street, and um, and I think that that's something that as you mentioned, there's there's times when it'll be right in front of you, um, you know, and the, the snap of a finger, and, and you and you can feel it. Um, and there's other there's other times where it you know it might not it might not feel like you're you're completely um, having this you know this 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 two way this two way conversation. And I think holding yourself accountable and and just checking back in uh, with yourself and with God of, of how that's going too. I think too, perspective helps. In other words, it's not about how you feel about the prayer time. It's the revelation about how he feels about it that changes it. Mm. Okay. In other words, did it, did it move his heart? The, the You showing up, just the power of faith to show up, faith to open our mouths and say words, the more we're connected to how that makes him feel and how that moves his heart, takes out of the equation how we felt about the time Mm. so we're not dominated by our emotions we're led by the truth Mm. yep i i agree i agree um all right well um you know last question i wanted to ask for you and then if you have any questions for me too you can um you could you could ping me too um (laughs) 
uh, I've, I've been prodding at you a lot and you've been, you've been preaching and uh, you know, I'm not, I don't, I don't consider myself a preacher, but, uh, one, one prompted, I, you know, I will respond. Um, just, I want to know, um, you, you know, what is something or that, or, you know, something that you feel that people should know about you and just really anything else that you want to mention. Um, and then where, where can we find out kind of what's, what God's been doing in your life and, 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 and continue to follow your journey? Yeah, I'll say this. One thing that you should know about me, I talk about that. I talk like this in normal life in a coffee shop. <laughs> I'm realizing because you don't know me, it does sound like I've, I've got prepared sermons that pop out, but I, I talk like this just in life. And so um, just for fun. But yeah, I think, uh, <laughs> Golly. I think that's a good, good rule personal point good um, so okay so i'm so I'm, I'm really catching you kind of you know in your in your element then you know it's not it's not scripted it's not it's just this is this is you know straight from the heart yeah i mean this is i think i think he's worth it and so i've this is what i've given myself to but yeah um to answer your other question where can people track my journey there's a few places you can go to my website, davidsliker.com. There's a ton of stuff I've written there that answers lots of your practical Christianity questions. Um, and then, ironically, my lots of my sermons do as well. You can find lots of those on YouTube. You just type in my name. But then uh, ihopkc.org, we have a whole resource section where you can listen to our preachers and our teachers. And um, you type in my name, there'll be about another 30 sermons or so that pop up. And so you can track there if you want more resources. And, mm. and of course, as you mentioned, my book, End Time Simplified, that's a great resource for beginning to equip the heart for what's coming in the, in the future related to the plans of God. And so those are those are a few. And then, um, yeah, I think from there, there we go, stuff like this. Awesome. Yeah, you know, I think that's a, that's a great place to get started. And I'm, you know, I'm sure I'm, I'm going to be, obviously, you know, uh, putting this podcast out and then I'll be, you know, reaching out to some folks who I think will find extreme value in this, in this as well. And, um, it's a great place to start. Um, so great. That's, that's, that's all I had. Uh, do you have any questions for me? And, you know, and then, you know, if not, then I would love for you to close this out in prayer. Yeah, I've got a ton, but I'm sensitive to your time. I think we've probably pushed the limits of this podcast. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. We can, you can ask me questions offline. How's that sound? Love it. Perfect. Okay. Perfect. Happy to pray. Thank you. Well, Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for Tyler and, and his ministry and what he's doing. God, I'm asking that you would set your hand on him in a new way in the days to come. I'm asking that you would breathe upon the things that are stirring in him, the things that you're awakening in him. The, the ways that he's wanting to pursue you in, a, in new ways, in a new season. God, I'm asking that you would begin to, to speak in powerful ways through his labors and what he's doing. I'm asking that you would set your hand on the listeners. God, I'm asking for those that are listening right now that are, that are to varying degrees uh, thrown off or stirred, awakened or, or having questions. God, I'm asking that you would meet them. I'm asking for the gift of the Holy Spirit as a teacher. John 15, the one that will lead us into all truth and tell us of things to come. I thank you for the gift of the teacher. I'm asking that you would open up the word to these listeners and different ones that are hungry and wanting more of you. 
I'm asking for that gift of more and that gift of understanding that only you can give. I'm asking for that light to come on in our understanding as we begin to ask questions out of conversations like this. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, thanks so much, David. Um, I, I really appreciate your time and you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll be in touch soon. Yeah, thank you. Thank you all for joining us and sticking through an episode with David Slyker. This is your host, Tyler Brondike, and we are signing off on this episode. But before you leave, feel free to leave us a review on iTunes and give us a rating, and that would be greatly appreciated. So thank you all. If you have any questions, would like to provide feedback on this episode, please feel free to reach out to me directly. Thank you.